0: For eight nine ten. That's August 9th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 110. 20 sided die in the bathroom. <music> Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the bleeding edge of America, Los Angeles, California, I am Matthew Rather, your host here with a gigantic panel and special guest uh, to overthink the popular culture for you and to overthink uh, ourselves as we always do. Every podcast, said Jacques Derrida, is always already about podcasting. And uh, every overthinking is an overthinking of the self. What is the the geekiest thing you've ever done? I'm not asking you, the listeners. I'm asking the panel because that is the question of the week. Uh, starting in alphabetical order through the regulars, it's Pete Fenzel. Pete, uh, how's life? top of the heap? How's life in the basement, or well, have, you, have you have you left the basement? I... I'm looking for a place.
1: So if anybody knows a place that, that I can live in that's in reasonable proximity to my work and hobbies, yeah, email the co- comments to the show place with the Eat log and I'll, I'll pick it up. No, um, yeah, no, I'm still down here, but we're, I'm going to be moving at the end of the month, so I'm looking for a new apartment. And I'm still working on my computer, so I apologize for any cell phone static that we got going on here. <laughs> um, but you asked me about the geekiest thing I've ever done.
0: Yes. What is it, Pete?
1: I mean, there's a lot, obviously. I think there's a lot for all of us. And I'm torn between a couple, but maybe I guess, I mean, I, I touch on this from time to time, but, like, I feel like my forays into tabletop role-playing games have been pretty geeky for me. Uh, and Not so much that the actual practice in itself is uber-geeky, but my approach to it, I tend to geek out quite a bit because it's sort of like I take it in, like, individual Inches, right? Like invent an entire religion for my cleric to practice, just so he can stand in the back of the party and heal everybody and and complain the whole time. Um, But probably my my (laughs) definitely definitely I've complained about it a lot. Um, Probably my geekiest moment in tabletop role playing, which feels like one of my geekiest moments ever, was I was really invested in this character that I was playing. We were doing the White Wolf campaign. Um, and it was a, i might have mentioned a couple times, it's a crossover, it was a crossover campaign between Werewolf the Apocalypse and Vampire the Masquerade, and this was like, I want to say 1995, maybe 94, um, and, uh, I was the only person who was really into the idea of playing Werewolf, and everybody else wanted to play Vampires, because these were all like the sort of darker kids, and, and, and a little bit more, a little bit edgier than me, um, than I, rather, uh, as is evidenced by the fact that it's correct in my own grammar, that they were edgier than I am. Uh, and so I had the werewolf character who's sort of this heroic anti-establishment figure and then they played the vampire characters who were all engaged in shady things. And so they decided that the rule systems, while the rule systems worked together, like, the map of the two systems wasn't really great and they kind of wanted to bring the the dungeon master, whatever they call him, wanted to bring everything under one roof. So they had a vampire attack my werewolf and turn him into an abomination. And I was so invested in this character that uh, and I was so, like, into this werewolf as this sort of, like, Um, this heroic uh, character raging against the decline of the natural order and all these other things that, like, I, like, practically got to tears. And I had my my werewolf character, like, run out into the sun in in the hopes of, like, reaching safety and getting somewhere where he could be be healed. And it was, like, an incredibly moving and emotional experience for me. Um, And they did finally let me turn my character back, but then didn't invite me to any more of the sessions. So, so it was, sort of like, it was like it was like a geek flame out. You could just sort of visualize it. It's just like you no, know, like I, I assert my own mind's conception of how this ought to work in this situation. I've done such preparation. I've researched this so much, and I care about this so much. And it just sort of, you know, as they say, it's better to burn out than to fade away. But it's worst of all to just not be invited back.
0: Yeah, Vampire <laughs> was the most so, uh, was the most popular of those White Wolf games, huh?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it went through a couple of different phases. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't really, I don't know, I don't think the culture surrounding things like race or mage was really quite the same as Vampire in the early days. I mean, Vampire the Masquerade had a TV show made about it. And I don't just mean, like, all the things that came after it that were influenced by it. I mean, there was an actual uh, TV show about the tabletop role-playing game. It was like skin. It ran for, like, three episodes. Not skins, <laughs> but skin.
0: Uh, <laughs>
2: Oh, the yeah, fa- oh, the fairy role playing game never really caught on like they'd hoped.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I liked Mage. Exactly. I, I mean, Vampire: of The Masquerade was okay, but uh, you know, the one the one that I really liked was Mage: The Ascension. But uh, yeah. yeah, all the kids in my high school played Vampire too because they were. Ed- I
1: mean, the one time. That- so one time I went along with it and I made a vampire, I made like a québécois vampire who ran an opium den, and all he did was call me gay the whole time, and it really sucked, so <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but you know when you're in middle school, you, you know you try to you try to you know fit in I guess i don't really know why there's really not a point to that, but whatever.
0: you know uh, you know who's anxious to answer this question it's Mark Lee. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know what would make you say that, Matt. Why would you say that I'm anxious? Huh? 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 No. Okay. I'll answer the question. So it's interesting that, that Pete went with um, like extreme enthusiasm as his measure for the most geekiest thing that he does. Is that right, Pete?
1: I figured, yeah, like sort of zeal, zeal in the pursuit of geek was one of the ways that I kind of sure. modulated that.
3: So, so I guess yeah. mine is a little bit different take, and mine goes. When I want to think about the geekiest thing I've done and think about the the most tinkering. Type of thing that I've done, and I, I honestly, as as much as I have done a ton of, you know, hardware or software, the extreme measure Star Wars similar game. I'll take, I'll take yes,
1: it. indeed, I indeed I, I had Tie Fighter. I did not have X Wing, but um, yeah,
3: no, th- that was a great series. Oh, he got he only played Tie Fighter. He got to play X Wing. Anyway, so the, all this is to say that uh, I went through a lot of effort to get the sound coming out of the video game. I turned off the music inside of the game and fed in the Star Wars soundtrack into the, somehow get it into the same audio source, and then very very carefully timed the the final sequence at the end when you're uh, when you're when you're destroying the Death Star. And you know, and then the cuts from the game to the cut to, to the cutscene of, of the Death Star blowing up. So the music would exactly time up with the uh, boom, you know, when the explosion comes out. Um, and I, it's been a solid like at least a couple of hours or so, like replaying the, the episode and then hitting play on the tape. Guess the exact <laughs> right moment, uh, so that all that would would come up and then just ah oh, the cinematic glory that that was hearing John Williams' actual score instead of the tinny middy sounds. Uh, oh, that, that that takes me back. That was pretty geeky. <laughs>
0: i did that that happened <laughs> it was indeed moving along josh mcneil great to have you back in the country uh how was your trip um you know it was uh sunny and uh third
2: worldy it was lovely um but uh, it's, it's great to be back here with skype and access to the internet um it's amazing how addicting those things can be
0: <laughs> Oh, you're away from the internet i i thought you were just being a dick
2: Yes, yes.
0: Oh, the, mega burn!
2: Yeah, you know, you know when you fail to change your voicemail message, so do all of your work contacts. Um, I came back to some angry voicemail. Um, the geekiest thing I've ever done was probably actually, it uh, was with some of you, and may have in fact have been, not you, Matt, but was, uh, was performing Oedipus Rex as a halftime show oh, at an a, a, uh, Ivy League football game. <laughs> uh, we, did a, we did a ten minute version of well it was supposed to be it was supposed to be an eight minute version it turned out to be like a sixteen minute version of uh, of Oedipus Rex which was completely incomprehensible to the twenty thousand people in attendance but was truly um, was a lot of fun to do and and as as sort of it was sort of like a, a uh, it was an, it was aggressive geekdom at its best I think.
1: I did love when we formed the giant eye and then rolled a giant piece <laughs> of red paper out of it so it looked like it was bleeding. Was that when we played, I wish I knew uh, what I know now yeah, when I was younger. Yes. The other
0: The other song was... Um, uh, I can see... claw. Well, ironic, now. but... I, oh, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I, think I you, can see it right now. Different. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That so. was
0: Ironic. That was fantastic. I, I, As I recall, I played the role of Oedipus in that, and Pete Fenzel played the role of Creon. <laughs> yes, yes. King Creon. Oh, that, uh, yeah. uh, that is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, F. Princeton. John Parrish! What up, what up, what up? So, th- this
4: is related to something I did, but it was a geeky thing that happened to me, so a uh, a long-running role-playing game campaign that i i ran for got about two years uh ultimately that ultimately also ended up introducing two of my long-term friends to each other john fraley and melissa krubia who later got married uh, a couple of years later after having met in my game so that was that was pretty cool in its own right but uh, melissa krubia was a a uh, composition student at the Longy School of Music at the time, and she composed a, uh, a a very short symphony based on the based on the campaign that I was running. Uh, so I was I was able to hear that uh, hear that played live at a at a recital the uh, the Longy School had in the spring of 2006. I want to say. So, and that was, that was kind of, you know, a little daunting, you know, hearing music that somebody wrote, you know, not, not specifically for a game I was running, but inspired by. So that was, that was pretty cool, but at the same time also very geeky, given that, you know, and the explanation of, well, why did you write this music and, and what inspired you? She had to, you know, spell out to a, a medium-sized crowd that it was based on a role-playing game.
0: That's nice. nice. Uh, And uh, our Well I'll say I'll say mine Mine is Mine is uh, Is easy Star Trek convention uh, When I was 13 Um, That's it I, I, I went back. I've, I mean, I've been to several, but that, that particular one, uh, being 13 and going around and, you know, doing things like buying, uh, buying 8x10 glossies that have been autographed of Brent Spiner for $40 or something like that, uh, that was uh, probably the geekiest thing I've, I've, uh, I've done in my life.
1: Saying you have gone to a Star Trek convention as your geek cred is sort of like saying that you were in the war. Like, everybody instantly respects it, and nobody really is going to ask you a ton of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's... Like, all right. Good man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but during the... I was not a collaborator during the Star Trek convention. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was part of the Star Trek resistance. Um, that is the regular panel, but we are joined tonight by a special guest, a, uh, a geek celebrity... Uh, a world famous um world famous geek Randall Schwartz is on the call. Randall, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you inviting me on here and I don't know about well I am sort of geek celeb i'm I'm a big fish in a small pond, and some of the people of your audience might have heard of me before if they've anything in this sort of computer realm or if they've done anything in the uh, especially the open source because I have this wonderful podcast called Floss Weekly that gets a significant number of downloads and I'm really happy with that show and I'm uh, happy that also apparently Matthew you're a listener of that show and I appreciate
0: that I certainly am I've been i I've been a long time listener uh, of that show actually since since before you were the host uh, of it but you, mm-hmm. you came in and revitalized it so I should I should say that Randall's on the twit network at twit.tv well, what is dental Huh? I'm confused. What
3: does dental care have to do with technology? <laughs> I don't get it.
5: Um, floss stands for free Libra. Well, there's two meanings. The key software. buttons. And, oh. and there's also the meaning of free Libra open source software, which is the meaning we use for our show. Yep. I uh, see.
0: So you can find it on twit.tv <laughs> slash floss. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, add to their no doubt already obscene uh, download numbers by downloading it it's an excellent show especially if you're into, into- I, won't, I won't brag about it no. <laughs> um, yeah. the, uh, yes absolutely and uh, uh, you can also find him uh, at Stonehenge.com um, mm-hmm. which is uh, Randall's consultancy and there's a page about him he goes by Merlin M-E-R-L-Y-N on the internet so his personal page I think is Stonehenge.com slash Merlin is that right? Indeed, indeed, yes,
5: and uh, I use the Y version because the I version seemed much too Disney for me.
0: Right, M-E-R-L-Y. That's
4: that's fair, fair and reasonable.
5: And. Yeah.
0: Well, in a in a uh, in a long career uh, and storied career as a, as a programmer, Randall, I'm sure you have a ton of these. But do you want to single one out as uh, your geekiest moment in the um, in in the experience of your lifetime?
5: Well, I'm just chuckling, and the and the fact that actually recently I've started identifying myself as a recovering geek being in a one four base eight step program. Uh, <laughs> wah, wah.
1: <laughs> and I <think laughs> Very the nice, very nice.
5: <laughs> moment just there. Okay, there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Guys throw heat. <laughs> got, I'm tightening my I'm loosening my collar and tightening it at the same time. Like, uh man
0: <laughs> <laughs> We'll just go with that. <laughs> Excellent. Um well, super! Uh, that is great. If you want to add your geeky voice to the geeky conversation, you know it's funny. The um, no one made a math joke, or no one really made a computer programming joke, right? Let Wait, what just did? That was just a math joke. What do yeah, you and, mean? and, no, and I, so except for Randall. I mean, no one, uh, no one on the regular panel. I, I mean to say, Randall, Randall, made a math joke. I was, I was expecting something a little more, more mathy. But we're sort of we're talking about two different kinds of of uh, of geekdom, right? Sort of mathletes geekdom versus. Um, obscure pop culture geekdom, right?
5: Well, uh, you know, if you have to ask me what geek is, I've been working with Neil Bauman for a long time now, and he runs GeekCruises.com, which is now retitled InsightCruises.com. We've uh, gone over 50 cruises, and we've had geeks, and the real definition of geek that he uses, which I really like, is people who are way more into whatever they're into than most people are even their, you know, fanciest hobbies. I mean, it's something about just the obsession the geeks have to really be into whatever they're into. So you could be a geek about cooking. You could be a geek about computers. You could be a geek about television. You could be a geek about pop culture, like you guys apparently all are. Uh, you know, that's that's what geek really means.
4: But I, I – there's got – I – can I, I – would, I would add also to that that the obsession also has to touch on some elements of, of esoterica. So, for instance, you can, you can be a geek about cook – you can be passionate about cooking – but it's the geeks about cooking who are, you know, really obsessed with, I don't know, like medieval, medieval techniques of mm. rendering things over fire. It's like your typical Alton Brown, Rachel Ray, Padme fan is is not uh, it, it wouldn't really be called a geek.
2: No, or right. you can, you can to, be to put a, that in, to put that another way. Could you be an NFL geek? Yeah, that's, is there uh, such that's,
0: a, thing? that's the thing. Alton uh, Brown. Alton Brown counts as a geek because uh, because of the way that he will build a you know home smoker out of a shoebox and a and a thing. I mean his you know his acquaintance with power tools and you know his his kind of DIY orientation. That guy is a geek. I I, I don't think he belongs in the same breath as Rachel Ray. But uh,
4: well, but I think yes, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that every fan of Alton Brown's is a geek unless yeah. they duplicate his methods.
0: Yeah, fair enough. But
1: that yeah, would be really geeky is if you wrote the Brown Rachel Ray fan fiction that had an erotic twist in it. Where like they're, they're like cooking together, and it's like, oh no, where did my shoebox go that I need for making my eggs Benedict? And she's like, I think it fell off with my shirt. And then it's all, it gets all... Then they start grazing, which is when it's really hot on the outside. I, I don't even know.
5: <laughs> Except then they take it back out of the oven, the other oven that already has it done. I mean, that's interesting.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely. I mean, if, if there's something already in the oven, that's, that's a whole different thing. And I'm not really into that stuff. But if you yeah. are, like, go for
0: it. But
1: I feel like, I don't know. Uh, just, okay, go ahead. No, 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 you go. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I do, well, I feel like this, this definition that has been offered for sort of a, a broad enthusiasm. While I feel that it is, it has a certain accuracy to it, it, it also seems to have a bit of, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, a bit of an imperial bent, as in, we're expanding. There's like it's sort of like a political statement to expand the sphere of what I mean. Geekdom, in in for me, is also kind of a. I think of it as as an extension of the idea of nerddom, right? Which is a sort of more constricted notion, uh, that, that sort of the predecessor to geekdom. Um, and and the, the geek definition seems to me to sort of aspire to a broader um, mainstream consensus, a, a broader advancement of. Uh, an acceptance of geek culture. I, mean, I, well, I applaud what it's trying to accomplish. I wonder whether we're really being sincere by saying that um, somebody who has a, a given enthusiasm for whatever it is that they really care about uh, is really in the, the full diachronic sense of what the word means. I, I agree. You know with I, mean? I agree with you Actually, yeah. I, I think
5: that actually the, the the definition of geek that I gave a few minutes ago was, in fact, an attempt to sort of uh, allow it to be okay to be a geek rather than being that sort of, uh, you know, uh, Animal House nerdism that was originally there, you know, that the nerd was, the, was the, the, the counterculture character. And now we see, of course, that first, if you know ones and zeros, you're much more accepted in culture today than you were, yeah. say, 20 years ago. But I, I think, you know, in a sense of them the ability to kind of really be an expert in what you're passionate about, uh, passionate enough to spend, you know, all of your waking hours other than your day job and then, then maybe even migrating your day job to be this thing, that's, I, think, I think that's an acceptable version of geek that actually sort of fits today.
1: Yeah. I would love to see a broader integration aesthetically and culturally between geeks of different vents uh, under this definition. Mm-hmm. So, say, people who are really into, like for instance, I knew a guy once who was really into giving tours of the Currituck Sound, and he knew all the different kinds of snakes, right? He, and he, he lived and breathed the Currituck Sound. And he loved to sort of kayak around and walk around. This is an area in North Carolina. Uh, between the Outer Banks and the mainland of North Carolina, near where I used to go on vacations with my family. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a guy who was just really enthusiastic about what he did to the extent that it kind of put him on the fringe of society a little bit. But I do feel like while it can fit this kind of imperial definition of what we aspire, like well, the direction we want to see geekdom going in, right? This sort of broader acceptance of ourselves and of others, which is admirable and something we should advance. I wonder whether the aesthetic hasn't quite caught up. Like, we haven't quite built the epic that, it, that, you know, creates this reality in which this guy can coexist with somebody who goes to Star Trek conventions. Well, um, I mean, maybe if he were, like, and, and it's funny, I think about that, I'm like, if he's really skinny, then yes. But if he is <laughs> not <up>, then no. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, yeah. there's yeah. Certain <laughs> weird aesthetic parts about geek that fit in there, right? Like, like, if it has to do with math, and there's no real reason why it has to do with math, but there's a lot of geeks have no math knowledge or experience, really. Here's the um, real bottom yeah. line, though.
5: The real bottom line is, do chicks dig, dig it? You know, if chicks dig it, then it's a good, it's mainstream.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're all doing, right? <laughs> it's like in Finding <laughs> Forrester, like, why do you read your writing?
0: Like, to get laid! <laughs> that's
5: why <water. laughs> <laughs> So, geek, geek is mainstream the moment chicks dig it, okay? That's really the bottom yeah.
0: line. I, get, I guess definitely, so. uh, there,
1: definitely. there's a That's what they said about Ashton Kutcher, right? It's like he started with the game became began, he went mainstream. But yeah. yeah. So That's the direction things going. in. I, well, I mean short-term. we we're 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 joking we're joking we're,
4: we're doing this tongue in cheek. I Are we? Are we? I don't know. <laughs> we all la- we all laughed afterwards. That's what I took it as. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll I'll just slightly. Like, we we brought up professional football earlier. We brought up the NFL and while and the NFL has never had a tremendous amount of traction among the American female market. I mean, women women watch it, but they're not fans. They're not fans the same way, to the yeah. same extent, and in the same numbers as American males are. I think that's that, that's that's a safe assertion. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's it's something they it's something that women you know it's something that women will watch, but I I wouldn't say that they buy into it, quote unquote to the extent that would make it not geeky were it being considered so. I I don't know. If it's I mean,
1: Complicated I don't know. Have you spent Have you spent a lot of time on Match.com and like seeing all the pictures of the girls in the football jerseys? Uh, no, they're I out have, there, man. No, I have. out
5: there. Yes, yes. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, and then they ask you. They ask you whether you like the Patriots, and you're like, not really. And then they never message you back again. It's like you refuse to let them turn your werewolf into an abomination or something. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> but, <laughs> this must be an East Coast thing. I don't get that on the West Coast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the girls do you like football?
5: Yeah, I don't. Mean, must be some little tribal thing, you know. Actually, my my understanding
4: my understanding is it is it is in part a, a New England thing specifically. I uh, I did sorry a minor biographical side note here uh, a, a novel manuscript that I wrote a couple weeks ago. I you know sent uh, brought to an agent at a conference to pitch. Wait, wait, John. The do, you mean, do you mean that you
0: wrote the novel manuscript a couple weeks ago, or that you brought it a couple weeks ago to the agent?
4: Brought it a couple weeks ago to the agent.
1: And, he wrote it that morning. Yes, <laughs> it
4: was that good. And the the protagonist was a a female uh, Bruins fan, a fan of the the hockey team, the the Boston Bruins. And the agent just wasn't having this. Like he he looked at it and said, like so so it's a female hockey fan, and looked at me like I I proposed she had a third eye. And I said, yeah. Whereas you know, most of the Bruins fans I happen to know are female, but I think that. Oh, yeah. I think that's just in New England. I mean, the Red Sox fandom is also very strongly is also very strongly divided between males and females in New England. Uh there are more female Patriots fans than female football fans than any other team I know. So to get this to get this back to to get this back to geeks and pop culture, I suppose there is a broader female acceptance, but I I would say I would say it has more to do with I, I think it has more to do with social skills. I'm going to put it out there. Geeks are primarily known for, in addition to their passion, not having social skills. That's how they're passionate about this one obscure thing because they won't stop talking about it. Mm, exactly. I, I think
3: like we're also talking about Asperger's syndrome as well. Did uh-huh. anybody <laughs> else think about that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Obsession, lack of, lack of
3: social skills? Yes. Maybe it's just me.
1: Are you expanding the spectrum, Mark? Are you making the spectrum even wider to include a variety of other things that are unrelated? That says sandwiches. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Tuesday,
0: um, I mean Pete. Pete said something before that I think is is worth returning to, which is like the diachronic sense of the word, and I think that we have to like nerd geek. Uh, you know, all these these words have um, have evolved over time from like anyone into computers or like coke bottle gases. Uh, coke bottle gases. <laughs> Coke
1: bottle glasses, <laughs> like the Mentos thing with the fountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coke bottle gas. Yeah.
0: Coke bottle gases. Yeah, absolutely. Viral video success. Um, uh, you know, revenge of the. I was thinking of like revenge of the nerds. I, in fact, you could trace it. You can trace a. Um, uh, let's say you can trace a, uh, a trajectory from Revenge of the Nerds to sneakers to the girl in Jurassic Park who says, This is a Unix system. I know this. To... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is a graphics
5: UI that's only on the SGI machines. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that girl had a lot of experience with silicon graphics. Uh, the the two, um, uh, Oh, I don't know. What's a more recent example? To... You know, oh.
5: Sorry.
0: Go ahead, mental.
5: When We look at uh, when you look at like uh, weird science, which is geeky, uh, and you had the beautiful girl, but the girl wasn't really geeky. She was just the result of geekiness. That was kind of
0: cool, yeah. right? To uh, to She's an uh, object of geekiness rather than a subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To Alison Scagliotti yeah. in Warehouse 13, let's say, right? Oh yeah. Who is, uh, um, you know, who is this sort of representation of like uh, technical knowledge? Computer computer knowledge uh, on that show, uh, and who is herself a beautiful girl, but um, who you know is kind of socially awkward and like you know dropped out of school, didn't fit into the kind of didn't fit in. Like there's an element. I guess it's an element of. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to pathologize it by by calling it Asperger's syndrome, but uh, but let's say that it's a um, let's say that it it. it uh, uh, it's, it's an obsession with the subject that leads to you not being able to fit in, in a certain, uh, in a certain, um, context, right? Now, this is, of course,
5: uh... Well, take a look at Angelique Jolie's character in Hackers, okay? She was cute, and she knew her stuff, but she was a bit odd. I mean, she was odd to be hanging out with that group, she, and she was just, she was smarter than... Most, but you, I think that's. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. That it really there's something about geekiness that's about not quite fitting into the crowd because they don't recognize what the, that we're focusing all our time on. Well, perhaps in my case, moving ones and zeros around, when we could be like learning about you know pop sports or pop culture. And I think that's an important distinction for geekiness. And I think that's also why the pop culture doesn't quite get geekiness correctly. They want to parodize it. They want to make it a parody of what it is and not the actual thing that it is, because it's not that exciting to watch.
1: Right. I mean, this this also reminds me of some other stuff when we're dealing with generation gaps. And, like, I mean, the generation gap between, say, even myself and people who are, like, 15 years younger than I am or or 10 years younger than I am. But, like, I wonder whether we've mythologized the geek a lot and, like, the nerd a lot. And people who are self-described geeks and nerds now are, are dwelling off of a myth to an extent. But I wonder whether we've also mythologized the crowd, like I wonder whether the crowd really exists in the sense that we think of it existing. Maybe it's not so much – maybe the geeks have changed somewhat too, but the idea of there being like a, 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 a hegemonic uh, – and I use that word in every podcast, of course, so drink uh, – a hegemonic <laughs> group of kids who enforce the way that people ought to act, I mean, if, if we can sort of conjecture that – the civil, you know, the, the experience culturally of the young is similar in any way to the experience culturally of the old. But they've probably experienced fragmentation not dissimilar to the fragmentation we've experienced in adult life. That's been encouraged by the internet and by the breakdown of of network programming to cable programming, specialty entertainment, boutique shopping, all this other stuff. Trying to do value added propositions to targeted markets, marketing, all the different things that have shattered adult, uh, large conglomerated adult cultural groups. Have probably shattered the groups of the young as well to the extent that maybe there really isn't so much of a crowd anymore. Maybe the crowd is a boogeyman that we tell people about to, to, to scare them so that they they feel like they have to go and buy the latest um, RK Fire album so that they don't. So the crowd isn't going to come and get them or something I along those I, lines. I think <laughs> the
2: crowd has always been a the crowd has always been a myth. There's never hmm. been that group of people who define culture. But like when you're a teenager and you're confused and you're hormonal and you don't understand what's going on, it seems. Like there is. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, that's I'm, where I mean, all of that comes from is, is we feel like there must be some, someone who understands what's going on. So sort of the process of becoming an adult is really realizing that no, that's not in fact the case. Pete, I,
4: I, think I'm, I think I'm with you on this one because if we take the, the, the sort of weird broadcasting of a geek as one of their defining attributes, the, you know, the broadcasting of their particular passion, whether it's stamps or coins or Star Trek or X Files or what have you as a way of signaling to other geeks who might be in hiding in the crowd. Because this is one of the things I had a lot of trouble with in high school, for instance. It's finding other people who were interested in things like role-playing games without necessarily outing myself as a role-playing gamer myself. So yeah. there was always that weird sort of tentative, conversational
1: yeah. dance. you know, Wide, back wide dance, man. Wide dance in the bathroom. That's how you find them. <laughs> so. But, but you know, now now with the...
4: No, it's a 20-sided die
5: in the bathroom. If you had a 20-sided die in the bathroom, you were... Yeah, dying.
4: exactly, exactly. <laughs> <'Cause>, like, <laughs> yeah, you why, do you, why do you have that 20-sided die? There's no other reason. <laughs> it, so, I mean, the, the wider prevalence of things like social media makes it mu- makes it means there's much less of a need for that sort of signaling. You can reach out and just say, hey, you know, who are all the, who are all the gamers in the Boston area? Who are all the gamers within my Facebook social network? Uh, things like that. So there's... I, I would imagine you know geeks no longer have to run that risk in finding their niche. They can much more easily find that niche online. So, yeah, perhaps it's less of a perhaps it's less of a type. Yeah,
1: and I mean I made a joke, but and I but I, it's one that I drew not out of disparaging comparison, but out of encouraging comparison. But I do think that the experience of people with all you know what might be I don't even know what to call it anymore. What might be phrased as in some context as alternative sexualities have experienced a similar change in their ability to broadcast what they want to people and and their ability to find other people who share their interests or promote the things that they want to promote. And it's really interesting that, I mean, when I was in high school, there was a pretty big divide between the the idea of people who were interested in sex and people who were interested in nerdy things. But it seems like they've followed a fairly similar trajectory. Like people who are really interested in their sexual identity from a very young age and something that's really something they identify themselves as and people who identify themselves by their, you know, their intent interests.
5: Wait right? a second. Like
1: there's just there's something they have in common, which is kind of fascinating. Wait a second.
5: You're claiming that people who are interested in geeky things were not interested in sex as well. Come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that they aren't interested in, in sex as a – in the hobby of sexuality as a self-identifying characteristic. <laughs> okay, I guess. I don't know. I, I felt like it wasn't okay for me to be uh, interested in, like, actual real-life sex in the same way it was inter- okay to be interested in, like, you know, okay. boys will be boys situations. But that's a whole other conversation that we can get into <laughs> if we want. We don't have to. Yeah. I don't know if you guys share that sentiment at all or not. I know not doesn't. I'm sure he was you know, he was born uh, making eyes to the ladies, but –
2: and
4: just just for the sake of our our adolescent listeners cuz we do have a to to my continual surprise a, a fairly decent uh high school following nobody in your peer group knows more about sex than you do i promise you everyone's bluffing
5: everyone's making it up as they go along you're what? you're all Nobody in your peer group knows more about sex
4: than you do. Everyone's equally, everyone's equally blind to it. Everyone's bluffing when they claim they know more about sex. Everyone's fumbling in the dark with the same mistakes. I mean, you're all, everyone's equally in trouble. Don't worry about it. Don't feel self-conscious. You're fine. And, uh, right. And there's this magical
0: (laughs) thing
2: called Google that will explain everything you need to know. Here's it. Actually, (laughs) no.
4: Actually, no, wait, that's right. We, you didn't, we didn't have Google back then. So, sorry, let me rephrase. You guys are all infinitely more knowledgeable about sex than we were at your age. You guys are way ahead of the curve. You're fine. Don't worry
0: about it. The, um, I, I, here's a pro tip, though, for you, if, if you are in Pro tip.
2: <laughs> pro, pro tip. <laughs> listen, listen, everyone, Matt Rather <laughs> knows no more about
0: sex than you do. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, uh, don't, f- <laughs> uh, let me so, so, uh, adolescents, let me put in, uh, just the pro tip here. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, uh, don't fumble in the dark, leave the lights on. <laughs> the more you know, <laughs> awesome. Have you guys seen Revenge of the yeah. Nerds? <laughs> but there's that great
1: scene in Revenge of the Nerds where, the, he, where he, they have that bed trick, right? Which is the phrase in, like, uh, Shakespearean-era drama for when people, the wrong people end up having sex because people are incapable of discerning one another's identities in the dark. Um, and, and it's where the guy, in the Darth Vader mask, has sex with the cheerleader, right? And, like, and, I mean, it's one of those 80s, ha-ha, funny-funny, but in real-life rape situations. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, where the guys, where she asked him why he was so good. Remember, he, she asked him why he was so good at sex, and he said, "Well, the alpha beta boys, you know, they always think about sports, and we always think about sex." Um, so they're definitely like uh, an interesting uh, uh, self-possession, I suppose. Although I guess that's what's you new. Know, the jokes just keep coming, and we need to we need to make sure we stay on topic here. It gets distractible.
2: One <laughs> thing we were talking about earlier, I wanted to return to is the the, the idea of sort of the female hacker character, because one cool. of those is figured really prominently in pop culture lately, which is the the girl with the dragon tattoo books. Have any of you picked those up? No, I keep
4: reading two. I've read the, to, I've read the I, first two of them. I've read the first two of those, yeah.
2: Yeah. They're they're actually quite good, and the character of – I'm not going to pronounce it right because it's Swedish, but it's Lisbeth something.
4: Um, uh, Lisbeth Salander,
2: yeah. Salander is is sort of um, – she has you know, had sort of a tragic childhood and is completely socially inept to the point that she's sort of hospital out for it. Um, but uh, is sort of this amazing hacker who can, you know, sort of a lot of the plot centers around her ability to basically hack into anyone's computer. Cool. Um, but it's, but the character's sort of done um, in a really interesting way. She's not sort of the like hot, um, you know, Angelina Jolie type character. She's sort of like the nerd dream girl. Um, she's like a real person with real motivations, um, which is something that I just, i had never seen before like a a a female hacker who actually had emotions um Mm. and and they're selling like i mean they're in every airport they're selling hundreds of thousands of copies um right now um so apparently that's a character that people are interested in at the moment
0: being made into a film also right well it already the series has already has been filmed and two of them i think have been done and they're working on the third but they're being remade as american movies
1: yeah they want to make them crappier it's important Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see
2: if that character comes out as a actual character or as just a sex symbol.
1: Yeah, when right. she's been Who's playing her in the
4: American ones? Do we know? Uh, it's it's not settled yet. Yeah, th- oh.
0: there were some uh, boldface names kicked around like Natalie Portman and and uh, such, but I think I think it's four unknowns right now. Yeah, Josh, I've Josh,
4: I've read the first two books in the series, not the third, and. I'm going to disagree slightly. I'd, I'd say they're, they're better written than a lot of other novels in the thriller genre, and Lizbeth Solander is a better female protagonist than a lot of other female characters in the thriller genre, but I wouldn't go so far as to say either are ideal. Uh, both of the novels could use a, a slightly sharper, could have used a slightly sharper hand in editing. Uh, it's unfortunate, the, the author of the, uh, both those books died. Of a uh, of a heart condition, rather suddenly after finishing the third one, uh, that it was apparently supposed to be a series of ten, and so as a result, I think they weren't edited as tightly as they could have been, and the pacing kind of suffers as a result. And while while Elizabeth is a strong character, and she's certainly not typical, she is also, as you say, sort of a sort of a nerd dream girl. I mean, she's a. She she has lesbian flings, but only in as they don't get in the way of her other her, of her other sex interests. From a plot point of view, uh, she and without spoiling too much of the the plot of the of the latter couple has the book. There's there's a there's a good bit of what you could conservatively call torture porn in the in the later novels of the series, and I mean it's
1: it's good, but could I don't think calling anything torture porn is conservative. Really? Is that? Is it uh, kind of a? I guess. Fine, I mean, uh, maybe it is conservative. You're saying,
4: I don't know. Never mind. Just kidding. Well, it's I mean, independent not, at least. <laughs> not not as not as much torture porn as hostile is torture porn, but right, right. trending in that direction.
2: It, well, it's there's there are scenes of sexual torture, but it's it's not it's not dwelt upon. It's not really revisited. It's not sort of. I didn't find it salacious at all. It was just sort of like this happened and then there's reaction to it, which certainly like did that need to be in there? No, they probably could have gotten away with it without it. But, you know, um, I do think it's much better than than almost any other character I've seen in that genre. And I read a lot of that genre. It's uh,
0: <laughs> a lot of torture porn. Uh, I was going back to thriller, but that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in thrillers, it's it's amazing how often torture porn just happens.
1: Yeah, really. The one time torture porn was it just as a bad word used for Saw? Was that what we started talking about
0: it? Well, I don't think where, torture the... porn uh, d- 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 Saw, at least in the first one, was not all all highly sexualized. Like it w- it was sort of devious. It was sort of devious, life or death games but they weren't you know what i mean they weren't like uh oh god what was that movie with uh, jack bowers daughter in 24 it was called captivity where it was like uh,
1: i was gonna say like the girl next door like which one are you
0: talking <laughs> about? uh no it was called captivity where you know and I, I i didn't see it i can't abide that whole i mean from saw on i i really can't abide that whole genre but um uh, where they, like, where she was kidnapped and, like, kept alive in some, like, dark, sadistic, highly sexualized, uh, you know, I don't know, getting injections of roofies or something like this uh, fashion. And it's, you know, it's just not... Uh... That's gross.
1: Yeah, Why it's... would you do that? Which is culminated in human
0: centipede, right? I mean, that's sort of <laughs> the, the, the yeah. apex of that genre. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly.
1: Oh man. So one of my friends was live Twittering watching Humane Centipede and that was kind of funny. He was like making promises fr- to his friends never to like wake up in certain positions next to them um and whatnot. But was, it was uh, it was pretty
0: I was live Twittering from Drupal Camp LA this weekend. That's that's geeky. Yeah.
5: Drupal? What's a Drupal? <laughs> Drupal Drupal it. Drupal I made it out of Clay. <laughs> <I don't laughs>
1: <know. laughs> <laughs> Have you
0: been gelded is that what's happened? <laughs> don 't get me started so there's this whole there's this whole class of of uh, more um, more recent entertainments that that deal with computer people uh specifically as uh, you know as positive figures or uh, you know as kind of uh shaman right who um yeah. Who uh, have um, you know special abilities? And I'm thinking now of like Penelope Garcia in Criminal Minds. I'm thinking of uh, the blind guy. Oh, what's the character? Augie in the new USA show, Covert Affairs. Uh, these people who can kind of do amazing things with computers, um, with you know these kind of Minority Report style user interfaces that don't don't actually exist. And it's not that the things that they they can't do. Uh, uh, that they can do don't exist, right? Like I'm sure the NSA is monitoring this very uh, this very call, and I would like to. Uh, Hi,
1: say- Chloe. Hello, yeah. Jack. Need to pick up eggs <laughs> on the way home. Well, <laughs> you, look at, you look at shows like
5: Leverage, you know, where you got the, the hacker geek, the black guy on that one. It's just, it just. I forget his name. I'm sorry, but but he, you know, every show they depend on him to break into something from his cell phone. And I'm going. Look, I don't have that much bandwidth on my cell phone. I don't know what you're doing on your cell phone you can break in here. It's. It, I, I heard a comedian once talk about how like he's up at an ATM machine. He's, he's like typing in a big transaction, and the guy behind him is waiting. He goes, yeah, "Look, I'm just. I'm just doing a hostile takeover of a bank here. You know." What I'm you know, they don't have that much bandwidth from these interfaces to do that kind of stuff. And yet they keep portraying in culture, in pop culture, that this notion of, oh, I can get to anything from my cell phone thing. And, you know, or I can just short out two wires. Like, I can rip open the panel and know that this red with a black stripe and the red with the green stripe wires shorted out will open this door. I think that's that's still doing a disservice to what we actually do day in and day out. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned a little about that. I am happy that more of that is showing up in the culture, but I'm just a little concerned about how uh, mystifying we must appear to be written that way.
4: Well, f- I, I, a great, a great deal of that is in service of the, the entertaining part of, of entertainment. Sure. Like very, very little of, very little of a true criminal hack is, is that interesting to watch, unless you're really fascinated by, by lines of code. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, very, I am, little, I am. <laughs> very little of a criminal investigation is that fascinating to watch, hence the, the glamorization of CSI. Very little of a court trial is interesting to watch, hence law and order. Very little of, you know, counterintelligence. Oh, driving a bunch of trucks, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Just laughs> back trucks. Which I'll, I'll talk about whenever given the opportunity. But go
2: on. <laughs> Very little right. in human er, interaction is that interesting. Hence, porn.
1: It's <laughs> 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 just becoming
2: porn, porn. This is what, that's what that is. So, the thing that uh, that Randall was just talking about of the sort of the the I believe you used the word mysticization, which I, is an awesome word if if that's what it was. Um, of what you guys do, and the fact is that just all of like our whole culture depends on you guys on on programmers to to run all of the things we like um, Our entire culture is is based around this technology that that less than one percent of us understand at all um, you know you're talking about bandwidth on a cell phone. How many people in America know that your cell phone has bandwidth at all? I mean it's just <laughs> it's a tiny percentage right and yeah. what it's like the, it's like sort of what, a priesthood used to be, you know, the guys who could predict that, hey, the sun is going to start, you know, rising over there next week. Like that was sort of the basis of their mysticism and, and the power that they held over their culture sort of way back in the day. And that's sort of where we are now. You know, they told you when to plant and you guys tell us when we can, you know, download TV shows. But Josh,
0: you're, you're you're inadvertently quoting from the West Wing. I don't know if you know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
2: that happens a lot. <laughs> there, there's, there's, so
1: the episode, know,
0: there's the episode of West Wing where the reporter comes back and gets reassigned to the White House, and and uh, and CJ says, "How did you survive that tribe? They always kill outsiders." Because he had been in Africa reporting on some you know uh, tribe that modernization had not yet touched, and he said, mm-hmm. uh, "I used the power of my cell phone to predict the weather, and they thought I was a god." which is, you know, like paternalistic and orientalist and racist and kind of funny, all rolled into one.
5: Well, I guess the argument I'm making, and I really want to bring this bring this home again, is that uh, a lot of what I would do as, uh, you know, an uber geek is probably, yes, magical, mystical, if you were to, you know, take out the, the, the four interesting minutes of the, of the eight-hour day I do. But the, 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 you don't have to go to the point where it's completely impossible even for us to conceive of how this would have been done to be that remarkable. I mean, they could, they could have rewritten leverage so that the parts that he actually does would be really interesting and visually cool and yet not so over the top that somebody like me goes, oh yeah, right. I was actually a consultant on a film project uh, a few years ago where the guy came to me and was a film writer and he said, I want to have the pieces of this be like you know, ten years in the future, but not so bad that you know your friends will freak. And I go, I'd be happy to because I can tell you what's going to be interesting visually. That's you know, five ten years in the future, and and won't and won't just completely freak things out. And I, I think that was that was just the, the important thing to, to realize is that we don't need to go to these extremes that a lot of these things are. I think probably the fairest show that's close is like IT Crowd. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that, but uh, the, the British import. It's just. That for what they're doing in there, that is spot on. I so laugh at that show because that actually is the closest representation I've seen of people being geeks in a natural environment, including having the boss that has absolutely no idea what you do.
0: Hey, Randall, talk, talk about that, because uh, we have a big international listenership, but our American audience may not know what I.T. crowd is unless they like stream it on Netflix or something like that. okay, okay. so
5: on Netflix. IP crowds have been around i think it 's uh, the middle of the fourth season maybe the end of the fourth season i can 't remember how many downloads i 've done uh, but basically um, these guys there 's two guys and, and they live in the basement of this uh, they don 't live they They work in the basement of this you know non corporation that is you know run by the usual crowd of idiots and they they 're both very geeky, uh, incredibly so one is clearly. You know asperger 's plus, if not you know full on autism you know one guy's and another other guy's kind of a merging guy he can kind of get after a little bit more but but they all have they both have mannerisms that are so like every single i t guy I've worked with, and i've been the i t guy a few times, so i can 't say that 's completely about somebody else um but, but And they're managed by a woman who got hired the first day to be in some department and ended up being in charge of IT. And she knows absolutely nothing about computers. In fact, you know, they, the, the, the first show, the first scene, uh, they wander in to have her talking on the telephone. It's an old, it's an old gag, but it still works. She's talking on the telephone, blah, 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 blah. And they, they, they then, you know, after she finally hangs up, she says, what do you want? And she says, well, I'm here to h- hook up your phone. You know, so it's that kind of interaction, just old classic comedy. Uh, very fast-paced, very good. Uh, a lot of, uh, I forget the name of the meme, but they do something early in the show and they don't reference it until later. And they'll have like six, three or four parallel themes all the way through the show. Very well done, very tightly written. Uh, even a couple of longer arcs that represent four or five show arc kind of things. And what I, But what I like about it is these two guys are clearly the classic IT guys, but there's nothing way out in their terminology. I mean, there's clearly some people working behind the scenes on the show that are like me, that will temper what they're saying so that it actually mostly makes sense. And I like that about this show, that they've actually hired a writer or they've hired a writer consultant who is actually not not just putting, you know, not doing Star Trek uh, gobbledygook, not doing Star Trek jargon that that, that was uh, classic in that show. But they're doing stuff that actually makes sense. And it, it, it's, it's fun that way. I, I, I really enjoy the show because of that. I actually, and I'm kicking off laughing, you know, laughing my ass off, literally. Well, no, I guess not, because then I'd be thinner. But <laughs> it's a great show. It's a really great show.
0: Wait, Randall, as a sysadmin, as a I don't know if you do much sysadmining anymore. He uh, used but, to. Yeah, uh, when you did, you didn't just reverse the polarity of the tachyon field?
5: No, we didn't reverse. We didn't reverse polarity of anything. You're talking sparks there. If you're doing that, come on. <laughs> I know that was the solution for pretty much every Doctor Who episode, but I'm not really going there. I mean, you're really. I mean, so so really. And let's contrast that. So, IT Crowd versus Doctor Who. Doctor Who always has some bizarre technology that uh, no reference to reality at all. Nothing is even close to it. And IT Crowd, you know. They're, they're supporting a group and they they're t- but but when they use technical jargon it's great they also have like, like i love this they have the the camel from my book the O'Reilly camel on the on the poster on the wall there, and they wear t- shirts every show that are geek t shirts that are just wonderful i mean it's just so whoever's behind the scenes on that show I love it they, they obviously are paying attention to my culture, which I really appreciate
3: now r- let me jump in here Randall It's great to hear you know that you're very pleased with the you know the i t crowd and it's Uh, accurate portrayal but i want to take us back to the horribly inaccurate portrayals because no conversation about portrayal of geekdom and hacking in movies and pop culture is complete without bringing up our favorite movie independence day
5: no oh no 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 giving giving the aliens a cold no 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 no! no, no. you guys are all young you're all youngins you got to go back to war games (laughs) <laughs> actors, actors. but at least
3: we're dealing with the same species in war games no, even
5: the dialing from a from an acoustic coupled modem <laughs> and there's four people in your audience that gonna get that and they're going to die laughing and the rest of you are going, what the why does that make any difference but that's the point of that movie is that they're doing all these things that we're laughing at sitting at home that they go search for the intruder in the tape drives Oh yeah, that's where he's going to be in the tape drives. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, that was an insane movie, an absolutely insane movie. It's actually a movie that made me a felon, but that's a long story. Um, but no, this movie, that movie, yeah. So so yeah, I, yes, I, I I was a bit miffed at ID uh, Independence Day, but you know, I was much more miffed at War Games. W- way over the top on that one. Right? Can and, we and, have a can we have point?
2: a supplement? Can we have a supplemental podcast, which is the story of how War Games made him a felon? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I may have to come back. I may
4: have to come back. So, so, long, as the, so long as the statute of limitations has expired, sure. Well, uh, read read the Wikipedia page if you're interested. <laughs> <It is. laughs>
0: so, exactly. so can we
3: talk about Independence Day for a moment here? Because I think we're all in agreement that as hokey as that is, awesome. some still works, right? I mean we covered this before in the previous podcast and of course in Pete's article about Independence Day. Um but so what is it about that? That why did we just buy that? when we stop and think that you know uh, why is it can we assume that jeff goldblum's macbook or the powerbook from back in the day can hack the aliens uh, because we recognize it,
0: from well, the beginning that sleep. we we recognize from the beginning that independence day is in some sense a farce you know it's a it's a fantasia on national themes rather you know what i mean rather than being an attempt at portraying something uh, with any kind of realism you know
3: Oh yeah, saying it well, is a fantasia is, is much better than saying it's a farce because that implies something. That would be like Mars Attacks is a farce, you know. But sorry, well, just... I mean,
1: farce is not necessarily a derogatory term, and Mars Attacks is a satire as well as farce. Mars, farce is just a subgenre of comedy, right? Where like you, your acts are very demonstrative, right, and like the gags are, are very sort of uh, like. Like body in the sense of being obvious, right?
5: I do believe um, ID4 took itself seriously. I mean, I had the sense that you know, we weren't watching a farce for ID4. It was bad, but it wasn't a farce.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to jump in with before, a little known fact, is that uh, when during the brief period, that, or not the brief period, that David Duchovny was a, uh, an English language PhD student before he became uh, an actor and did porn and then did uh, X Files. I mean, soft-core porn, so nothing that bad. Um, <laughs> his thesis, and, and I read this in a profile of him, and I mostly it's to get to his thesis, was about how in American literature we treat technology uh, with a moralizing force in a similar way to how European liter- literature historically treats magic. right? That, that For Americans, technology has stepped in and has fulfilled the role of magic, uh, in our literature in like a bunch of very specific ways. And I mean, you can turn this is pretty I think it's pretty obvious because the whole like Star Wars is a great example of this because the Jedi operate in a very like Arthurian model of, of sort of magical authority that gives them these powers with these magical swords and at the same time you have these technological things that are happening that are all parallel to it. But even if you get more serious and think about something like like the Jones truck, like taking them to California as this sort of like it's you know, it's not quite a magic carpet, but you know, the thing has, has, has sort of an animal nature of its own. It it's, it's, it's has almost some sort of soul-like quality. There's something magical about how it's able to do this thing. And I think that the reason why Jeff Goldblum's hacking makes sense to us is because we connect the plausibility of technology in movies very much with its moral force. Like, is it for good or for ill or why? Right? Like, and, and I think that's the sort of tradition of the storytelling that it dwells within. Right? It's that it doesn't really matter as much whether it's plausible as much as the intent behind it is commensurate with what it's trying to accomplish. You know, clap your hands and thinkerball will come back to life, that kind of situation. Um, I think
2: you're right, uh, I want to ask Randall a question here about sort of – so Jeff Goldblum you know, hacking into the alien spaceship, obviously terrible from the perspective of, of just realism. But from the perspective <laughs> of inspiring people to get into that field – and to sort of see computers as a way to, to be heroes and to, 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 you know, as just sort of a recruitment tool for your profession, isn't that a good thing? No. I'm thinking about, like, the, the no. old sort of TV shows about astronauts where, you know, they, it was portrayed as they were these heroic guys when, in fact, they just spent months and months being tortured and then got to spend, <laughs> like, six hours in a, in a can. So, like, you know, you need something to sell it.
5: Yeah, I, but I don't. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that anybody who is, you know, waking up in the morning, going, "Oh yeah, I really want to be a programmer," isn't doing it. Is not doing it because of ID four. I, I really. I, I just. I just. That, that that's so not what we do. That's so not even close to what we do. That if they're excited because of that, they're going to come in and they're going to say, "Oh my god, you spend most of your day debugging." <laughs> You no, know, they're not going to want to have this after wait, that. Wait, no. wait.
0: You pour over screens and screens of <laughs> obscure text looking for a missing semicolon.
5: Yeah, right. So that's our, that's our culture. That's what
2: we do. Isn't isn't that true of all professions, though? I mean, I work in politics with a generation of people who thought they were going to be on the West Wing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, oh. And, and but, our sack. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> d- d- police detectives, lawyers, doctors, right.
5: you know? You don't, you don't just get to wave the blue light over everything. I mean, there, there's a lot more work to it than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what The Other guys is about, right? Which is that movie that Josh and I saw that we were t- uh, talking about earlier. Like, and it's only about it for a little while, but it's also what those sort of vaccines in the wire are about when they have to go file the requests for the real estate licenses and all this other stuff. Like, the real job behind the crazy, sexy job right? It's like being a stripper ain't you know, all about being on the pole. Like you also have to do your homework. Well, you um, know, and the thing but... is,
5: the thing is, you know, and I, I want to say everybody listening that is that, is that I chose being a geek. I chose doing what I was doing with ones and zeros because there are parts of it that are very sexy, very fun, very interesting, very engaging, but it's the kind of thing that if you're not ready for it, it doesn't, it doesn't on the outside look all that sexy and engaging. And, you really just have to, you know, it's it's like, you know, who would solve a Sudoku puzzle willingly from the outside watching somebody else do it? You know, it's, it just looks stupid. And yet I see, you know, hundreds of people every day. Well, I don't see personally them, but I see, you know, hundreds, thousands of people very, very engaged in Sudoku. And that's the same thing that goes on with me. So when I'm interacting with what I'm doing, I'm solving puzzles, I'm moving stuff around. I'm, I'm, it's a very creative act because I get to take you know all the brushes of the world and paint this uh, you know program in this language uh, that is completely uniquely my creation, and it does what I tell it to do, good or bad. And for me, I find that very engaging. It, you know, I, I you know I make I make not static art, I make dynamic art, I make art that moves. And that for me is engaging as well. But does that necessarily look from the outside sexy? Not necessarily, because you know it's like, oh, and I got this web page to work, oh yeah, nice, Part good. It,
0: in a, it. a way, um, it, it seems to me that film and TV is the wrong medium to yeah. show a programmer in, and that actually probably a novel about something like that would be a lot would be a lot more interesting. Yeah, I, I think that when you watch someone, I think when you watch someone who is really excellent at their job do their work with focus in a state of in that kind of flow state of creativity that that you know all kind of creative jobs can get yeah. into um i think it's fascinating and i think we're i think we are really captivated by that the trouble is uh, a lot of the a lot of the more uh, cognitively loaded jobs are not uh, uh, don't lend themselves to, to visual storytelling, whereas mm-hmm. basketball, you know, right, which which has a similar uh, aspect of like flow of flow state for the people who who do it at the highest level, right, is uh, uh, is um, uh, capable of being being shown in that way. Yeah. Rather,
4: I, I I know what you mean. It's like that scene in the movie Swordfish. Where Hugh Jackman has to create that virus by moving those colored blocks into those other colored blocks, and
3: he's staring at
5: the computer
4: saying, no, 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 no! yes, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, no, no, oh, I got it, I got it, et cetera.
5: Don't like make that. me think about that scene again. <laughs> oh, you're evil. I, I much prefer I, the sorry. other scene where he has to, he has 60 seconds to crack into that thing, and the girls, like, whatever. So that's a much better scene, I think, of that
1: movie. I'm just saying, if you don't find the work of making web pages to be sexy enough, (laughs) I have four words for you animated GIFs of fire. (laughs) I got two words for you.
5: (laughs) Two words for you blink tag. Okay.
1: now act now act now it's nothing
5: without a marquee it's nothing without a marquee
4: (laughs) (laughs) so so rather i'm i'm going to i'm going to bring it back to one of my one of my favorite movies on hacker culture which i i know i've referenced on the podcast before and and it came up earlier and that's sneakers Uh, i think sneakers really stands the test of time you could pop it in and watch it today and it would be just as entertaining despite the fact that the all the technology depicted in it is at least 20 years out of date by this point Uh, because it treat, because it's a better understand, it's a better depiction of the concepts behind hacking. It is like social engineering and information theory and vulnerabilities and encryption than any more technically savvy show or movie has been since. So I, I think like a more intelligent and clear depiction of, you know, the the fundamental ideas behind a hack, like information theory, as I said, would would be a better depiction of what goes on in programming than something that is more technically
5: up-to-date but isn't as passionate. I'll, I'll give you sneakers for sure. It's actually one of the ones that I hold pretty high in the list because it just I, – I, there wasn't anything watching that show where I just went, oh, yeah, right. I mean – and, and I do that a lot with pop culture hacker references. So the, the sneakers actually pass the sniff test for me.
0: Yeah, but there's, yeah. there's very little, kind of like Inception, the the actual incidence of technology is is kind of incidental, right? And it's yeah. a lot more of the movie the suspense is generated when um, what's her name? Who's the woman in sneakers? Is that Joanna? Uh,
4: no. The, 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 actor, uh, the actor is uh, Mary McCormick. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, is um, trying to get the guy to say passport.
5: Oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole sequence where he's trying to get her to, s- or she's trying to get him to say the entire sequence, they need to in- in- encode that, uh, that phrase. So they can get into the door. That was really cool.
0: And if, if um, Mary McDonald. Mary McDonald. Mary McDonald. Yeah. Mary
4: McCormick is someone else entirely. In Sorry. Place, disregard. Is, uh, Which yeah. is why they have different names. Yeah. That helps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, right. If Ke- Wait, You guys talk about Mary Tyler Because she's <laughs> awesome. <awful. laughs> if, um, if Kevin and no? Nick is to be believed, you know, half of it or more than half of it, 90% of it is the human element. Uh well, what uh, what element do you think is the most important? You should uh, you should join this conversation, you you nerds that are our audience, <laughs> Wh- <laughs> whom, whom we love. Uh, call us at two zero three two eight five six four zero one or email podcast at overthinkingit.com. dot com. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one and podcast at overthinkingit.com. Dot com. Many thanks. Randall, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank
5: you for yes, inviting me. Have a great time. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, You can find him at uh, twit.tv slash floss and his personal page at Stonehenge.com slash Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N. Uh, you he can tw- follow me on Twitter, too. He yeah, he tweets at Merlin. Uh, we tweet at Overthinking It, and uh, that's also where we uh, have our website. What website you say? That's www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it,
1: prob- it probably, probably does. <laughs>
0: There's one word that I think is more sexy than any other word in the world. Would you say it for me? It's passport. Uh, Passport?
5: (laughs) Passport.